This is awesome. Let's pray. Father, all glory, praise, and honor belong to you. God, thank you that you are the one who gives us breath, who gives us life, that sustains us. We thank you that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that we are forever loved and forever uh, sons and daughters. And God, I thank you for this passage today. I thank you for your life-giving word. I pray, God, that you would help me be able to uh, proclaim it. God, I pray that you would even master me with it as I'm proclaiming it. And I pray, God, that uh, our hearts, all of ours, mine first and foremost, would be fertile soil uh, for your spirit to bring the word so that we'd be conformed more into your image tonight for your glory and for our good. And God's people said, amen. This is really so cool. And it's, uh, you know, we've been, I think this is like 15 times we've done this on video. Don't cry. You're making me cry. And I probably preached 10 of them to a camera and a video guy that's, you know, reading a book or falling asleep or something. Um, and uh, it's just good to have you guys in here. And for you, on, you, you all on the video, this is the first time that we've had people in this building uh, since uh, first week in March. And if you look around, you see some things that are different. Um, we bought new carpet because the other carpet had like uh, kids vomit on it and uh, candle wax and all that. So we, we looked hard and we found carpet that actually had these yellow, yellow arrows on it. And we had to place it really carefully no, we didn't. We bought new carpet. Um, we actually bought new chairs, too. And the chairs will be here um, first part of September. We've had the chairs for 11 years. Um, the mistake that we made was that we gave all the ch other chairs away to another church down the road. So, so thankfully, we have social distancing. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of people sitting on the floors because this is really all the chairs we got, quite frankly. So just good to have you with us today. And I'm um, glad to be able to look into the faces of people um, rather than just into the camera. Um, today we are in uh, James uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, as Elaine read, and I titled the sermon, um, Tomorrow, Lord Willing. Tomorrow, Lord Willing. You know, the deeper that we dive into this beautiful book of James, um, I've seen the overarching theme of working faith. We knew that that was the theme when we started, but just the deeper we get into it, it's just so obvious that James' greatest concern for you and I is that the faith that Jesus earned for us, that we would have a faith that works, um, that, would, that, that, that works and isn't, um, isn't stagnant. 
we've got six grandkids, and recently we had our three-year-old granddaughter spend a night with us. Her name's Marion, and um, she's a piece of work, and we love her dearly. If she were to take the DISC test, she would be a DI. If you're familiar with Enneagram, she would be an eight. Um, she is, um, she is a, a little girl that winks at you, and then she'll rip your throat out. Uh, and she, she, uh, we had her um, just in the last week, and um, she asked if she could go to the park because she knows where the park is by Grammy and Papa's house. And we said, no, not right now. Next thing you know, I mean, you can just kind of tell her, like, you know, like cock her head, tense up, look out the door. Next thing we know, she's headed off down the sidewalk towards the park. Parks are good, but going to a place that's good in disobedience or outside the will of your authority is not good. It doesn't always work out well. For me, I like to plan and set goals. I'm, a, I'm one of those goal-setting geeks that every year we set goals for the new year and for the five-year plan and 10-year plan and all that. And we've been doing this most of our marriage for 40 years. And early on when we planned, our planning was primarily around finances and kids and vacations and comfort, things that aren't bad, but that's all it was about. And I grew up um, believing that whatever I wanted, I should plan for it, work hard, and go after it. I was taught that the sky's the limit on what I can accomplish. And there's some truth in this. There's some truth in this. One of the mottos in our family is that um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. This is true, but it's severely incomplete and empty for Christians. In my flesh, I can see something I want or perceive that I need, and I can just go after it. I can kick the door down, if you will. And I've learned over the years that success doesn't necessarily mean, the success in my life, whatever that might be, doesn't necessarily mean that I was walking inside of God's will. And on the other hand, failure in the world's eyes doesn't mean that I was outside of God's will. So we're going to talk about God's will a little bit this morning. I've learned that over the years that God is in control of our days and our success. That we can plan, we can work hard, we can use logic, we can use rationale, and things may or may not work out. Uh, we could actually act foolishly, and God might for some reason give us success. Let me ask you, what are your plans for tomorrow? Not tomorrow as in whatever the next day is, but for the next year, the next year, uh, next decade. What are your plans? How did you arrive at those plans? Are your plans based on a certain vision of the future where you will finally be happy and fulfilled? Maybe it's retirement where finally you can stop working and be happy. Maybe for some of you it's when kids are finally out of the house. Maybe for some of you kids it's for you when you are finally out of the house. Maybe happiness, a happy future for you is when your spouse will finally change or when you'll finally have no more money struggles. Today, James is going to encourage us to consider the Lord's will in planning for tomorrow. 
in the verses that we've covered the last couple of weeks, James told us that after we've been saved by God's amazing grace, that God gives us grace upon grace upon grace. And we find that, uh, that increasing grace as we um, submit ourselves and our plans and our dreams to Him. It's when we humbly submit to His will for our life that He exalts us or lifts us up, lifts us up. It's in humility, it's in humbly submitting and delighting in Him that we find ultimate joy, peace, and satisfaction. So today, today we will see what humility before the Lord looks like in our planning for tomorrow. James has a few lessons for us today as it pertains to understanding the Lord's will. First, I want to define a couple of terms that you're going to hear as we go throughout this, uh, this passage. One is I'm going to talk about God's revealed will. That God has made um, part of his will, his will available to us. And that's called his revealed will, which is what I'm going to call it. Some people refer to it as his moral will. And it's simply and beautifully his word. And then there is what's called his um, hidden will, or I'm going to refer to it as his sovereign will. And that's um, his will for our future that we don't know until hindsight, that we can't fully understand. So today, James is going to warn us from the snare of arrogant planning, and he's going to encourage us towards planning for tomorrow that accords with three things. The first is a right view of life. The second is a right view of success. And the third is a right view of God. So he starts off in verse 13. Come now, or listen up is what he's saying. Listen up, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You see, James might be speaking to entrepreneurs in the church in that first century. I don't know. But I do know this, that he has a message for every Christian um, throughout all time. And what James is not doing here is he's not condemning wise planning. He's not condemning um, making money. But what he's condemning is planning that has a wrong view of life and success in God. James is giving us an example of someone making definitive plans without considering what the will of the Lord is. And I fear that's true for a lot of us. Many of us determine what lifestyle. We get it backwards. We, we determine what lifestyle we want to live. And then after we determine that lifestyle in the future, we actually choose our job to go ahead and fund that lifestyle. Then we buy a home that's nearby. Then we finally find a church that offers everything we need. Then if there's extra time and money, then we serve and give to the church and other ministries. It's backwards. James calls this arrogance when we plan for tomorrow without thinking through the biblical grid. For much of my life, I haven't planned through a biblical grid. And many, many of you don't, don't plan through a biblical grid. But we look through a grid shaped by the world that we live in. And sometimes we're not even aware of it. We worry about young people being corrupted by the values of the world. That's a good worry today. But Jim Wallace points out that the real problem is not that they failed to learn our values. The real problem is that they have learned our values. 
They, they, you see, they, they see beneath our social and our religious platitudes to what we care about most. Our greatest cultural message comes out loud and clear by what we prioritize and we order our life around. And most of the time, it's the pursuit of happiness and security and comfort at any cost. We want to be happier in another relationship. We want to be happier in another job. We want to be happier in another country. We want to be happier in a bigger house. We want to be happier in a different location, etc., etc. We do this all the time. I need better job security. I need to have a job I enjoy more with less stress. I need to move to a place where there's better weather that's more conservative that has less congestion. Now, none of those are wrong in themselves, but when they are on the front end of our planning, we're going to end up with the wrong results. So when we have these at the front end, we start planning and seeking and strategizing and networking. All good things. But our plans are often around things that are temporal or that we think we need or we think that our kids need. We like to think that we're wise in planning because we use logic and research and rationale. We plan and try to make wise choices for schooling and emergency funds and retirement. That's good. But it's not to be at the front end of our plans. We are thinking in rational beings, and it's good to use logic and rationale in our planning. But the reality is, is that that our reasoning process is shaped by our hearts. And, our, and for many of us, our hearts are shaped by the culture rather than God's word. We learned a couple of weeks ago that wisdom from above or wisdom from God is first pure. Then it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy it's, it, and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. But wisdom from above is first pure. It's wisdom that aligns our actions and our motivations to God's revealed will for us. Godly wisdom, wisdom that is pure, shows itself in our planning for tomorrow. It's wisdom with a primary ambition to, uh, and motivation to fulfill the two great commandments. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourself. So let me ask you, is your planning pure? Or are you running like Marion towards something you want or perceive that you need in order to be happy or to be fulfilled, but it's in rebellion to God's best for you? What grid are you looking through in your planning for tomorrow? Are you looking through what James calls the royal law or the law of satisfying me, myself? And I. James says, you are making plans for tomorrow that may be noble and good and right. In verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James, um, th- James asks, does your planning include a right view of your life, 
and a right view of success? That's the question that just, he's begging us to ask. We don't know if we'll even be alive to enjoy the fruits of what we're planning for. Or if we're alive, if, we're, if our plans are even going to come to fruition, if there's going to be success. So it seems foolish to have, um, to, 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 to plan for um, comfort, a definitive comfort, a definitive lifestyle when we don't know what our life will be. You see, we need to have a right view of success because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Someone, someone once said that the, 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 the plans are man's, but the odds are God's. You heard that before? Since there's not a guarantee that our plans will work out, we need to be careful that we're not putting our hope in a preferred future that is shaped by our culture. And investing time and energy and resources in planning for this preferred future that might not even work out and is a potential trap. Think about a trap. How many of you have plans that you made for 2020 that have panned out? Like, I, I had certain plans, and they didn't work out, and, and I don't see them working out, quite frankly. So I can choose to trust in God's sovereignty, or I can get angry. And I've learned, just even through the last month or so, that, that the plans that I made, I hung too tight to. Because as they didn't work out, I ended up getting frustrated and angry. When we hang too much weight on the success of our failure, or, uh, uh, success or failure of our plans, it can throw us into a tailspin. Success isn't in. I can't even read that note, so I'm not going to do it. First Corinthians ten thirty one says this. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What's success? Is when we can look back, and our plans succeeded, failed. It doesn't matter. And we can say before the Lord, God, I did, I strove to do it all for your glory. And by your grace and through your spirit, I was faithful. I was faithful. That's success. James asks this, what is your life? Here's, here's the answer. Our life is his life. That we've been graciously purchased we are fully and forever loved. He hears us. He sees us. He is with us. And our response to that is to strive to do all for his glory and honor. That's success. James has echoes of Ecclesiastes. I've just been noticing the last few weeks. And in Ecclesiastes 2, chapter 11, the author says this, What does a man gain? Or what is, it, what is the advantage by all the toil or work in which we toil or work under the sun? And the answer, there's none. Unless we're doing it for the glory of God. Because what we're doing for ourselves won't last. Next, he says, we need to have a right view of life. Will you even be around tomorrow or alive tomorrow to enjoy the fruit of today's labor? James says you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're here for a second and then we're gone. Psalm 39.5 says, Behold, 
You have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Not one single aspect of your existence. Not one single thing will happen to us today that is ultimately in your control. If we haven't recognized that in 2020, we're never going to recognize that. Like, is there anything in our control? There's nothing in our control. I mean, everything is changing. The plans are man's, but the odds are God's. And then he says in verse 15, he says that, that after we, we need to have a, a, um, a right view of life and a right view of success, we need to have a right view of God. Instead, in verse 15, he says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Instead of saying, I will go tomorrow and do this or do that, James tells us to acknowledge God's sovereign control and let God's word through his spirit shape our plans. Let me say this. Saying if the Lord wills. We say that a lot. God willing. See you all tomorrow. God willing. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I'll be able to do this. God willing. But saying if the Lord wills isn't about words being used like a magic bullet or formula where we make our plans, we close our eyes, and we say, um, Lord willing, you will bring success to these plans. When we say Lord willing, it's a statement of belief that informs our actions. It's believing that God's good and perfect will, even if things don't work out the way that we design them, is good. And we can be thankful in it. We can rejoice in it. It's employing all of the resources he has given us for wise planning. His word, his spirit, his people, and our desires. If the Lord lives, excuse me, if the Lord wills, we will live. He says that right there in verse 15. If the Lord wills, we will live. Can I tell you something that might sound like a downer? But I, if, I promise you, if you grab a hold of it, no matter how, how young you are, um, it's going to change the way you live. Here it is. You're dying. You're dying. Every one of us. We're dying. We are all from the moment we are born in the process of dying. We all have an expiration date. We all have a shelf life. You might exercise. You might eat well. You might have good genes. You might be a good driver but you may not live past tomorrow. But you can say with Paul, if you know Jesus, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we know our days are numbered and we don't know the number, it motivates us to live as Christ and to believe that to die is gain. That's one of the reasons why many of you know before COVID that a lot of my days off on Tuesdays, oh my, I guess my day off is Monday, my prayer time is Tuesday morning, um, I would spend it at cemeteries. That's kind of weird. I want some of you to come with me. Like, if you ever want to do that, go with me. It's awesome. Um, I go by and I read, I, I read the, uh, the, the beginning date, uh, the hash mark, and the end date. 
And like Rain Man, I figure out, I just figure out real quickly how old they were when they died. And most of the people in that cemetery, I almost said seminary, cemetery, are younger than me. It makes me um, stare um, death right in the face. In my office, I have a skull, and I've got a plaque, and the plaque says Memento Mori. That's Latin for remember death. Nancy and I were in Estes Park a few weeks ago, and I bought this bracelet. Yes, guys can wear bracelets. And it's got skulls on it. And you go, well, that's kind of morbid and weird. It's right next to a cross. But it's a reminder that because Jesus died, I will live in eternity with him, even though my body is decaying. That we are to face death head on. The psalmist in Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Are you looking for wisdom today? Number your days. Spend some time at the cemetery. Next, if the Lord wills, we will do this or do that. James is not saying that the Lord is going to clearly tell us who to marry or what job to take or where to move or what college to go to or when to retire or how to invest. I wish he would. But God isn't so concerned about you knowing his sovereign will for your future plans. He's concerned about the process that informs our plans. So how do you know the Lord's will? Through his word, his revealed will, by the prompting of his spirit, and by the counsel of others you know who have God's spirit in them. You may not know who you're going to marry. You may not know where you will go to work. But you can know that God is more concerned about you being a godly husband or wife or being a godly employee than worrying about what's going to happen in the future. One of the gospel writers says, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough problems. Today has enough problems of its own. God's revealed and moral will will not only inform our actions, but our motives. For example, two Christians could pursue the same job, and one could be honoring the Lord in that pursuit, and the other could be making an ungodly decision because of greed, fear, or false identity. Let me give you a contrast. If someone came up to you and said they were having an affair, you'd be horrified. Rightly so. However, if someone came up to you and said they were going to take a better paying job, you would quickly commend them. Not knowing if they've considered God's will or not. You see, God is about the process. He's not about the success. He does give success, praise be to God. But he also gives failure, praise be to God. So what's wrong with verse 13? It's good to plan. There's nothing wrong with making a profit. Yes, but it's wrong because the plans were made without a right view of life, a right view of success, or a right view of God. Again, are your plans for tomorrow informed and motivated by a desire to love God and love people or for your own selfish desires? 
Here's, a, here's some further diagnostic questions that might be helpful um, in determining if your motives are pure. Here they are. Does your plan for tomorrow prioritize the following? The gathering of saints in the local church. Giving sacrificially. Does your planning prioritize time with the Lord and experience an intimacy through his word and prayer. You see, I see so many people that are so resolute on, on, on uh, achieving their plans. They have no time for anything else. They're absent on Sunday mornings. They're not part of a community group. They're putting so much money in retirement, they don't have money to give. They have no relationships with outsiders. Because they're working, working, working for some future plan, not even knowing if God is going to bring success to those plans or if they're going to be alive to enjoy those plans. You see, they're spending tomorrow, or they're, they're wasting tomorrow on the altar of today. Some other diagnostic questions. Um, does, does this planning um, tomorrow help you prioritize um, time with your family today? In fellowship with believers today, in time with non-believers today. I know our hope is that one day when we finally arrive, we'll be able to do all that stuff. But what if you don't make it there? James tells us that a planning for tomorrow with a right view of success and a right view of life and a right view of God. Excuse me, let me say that one more time. Without a right view of success and without a right view of life and without a right view of God is pride, verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. When you make plans without a right view of life, a right view of success, a right view of God, James says you boast in your arrogance. It's arrogant, he says, or prideful, if you will, when you make future plans based solely on, our, on your wants and needs on not, and not on what God wants for you. And there could be alignment in those. I'm not saying there's not alignment in those. The more time we spend in God's Word, the more time we spend in God's in prayer, um, our desires actually start aligning with His. It's in humbly submitting to God's word and through the power of his spirit that we find ultimate joy and peace. It's not running down the sidewalk to the park of the future seeking happiness and fulfillment while ignoring the resources God gave us to protect us and to guide us. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Caution. Beep, beep, beep. He doesn't want you to be bound up like, well, God, what if I make the wrong decision? He doesn't want to bind you up in that. Because at the end of the day, if he, what he cares about is the front end of the planning. That you have a right view of success, a right view of life, and a right view of God. That you have pure motives, that you want to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That you've sought wise counsel. You're being led by the Spirit, not being led by, the, by, the, by, by your flesh. And just make the decision. Don't be bound up. There's not going to be a right or wrong decision if you've got the process right. The sin that James is referring to here is a presumptuous planning process that only takes our needs and wants into consideration. The right thing is rarely motivated 
by things like money, pleasure, knowledge, and, and power. The right thing is a right view of success, life, and God. And it's motivated by desire to love God and love others as you love yourself. Success or failure of your plans are not indicators that you're operating in God's revealed will. I want to say that again. Just because you succeed, just because your plans come to fruition, doesn't mean that you are operating in God's will. And if your plans fail, it doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. One of the, one of the moments in my life that marked me is, um, in fact, most of the moments in my life that have marked me are failure. But it's when we ventured out, that we left everything aside that was secure because we felt God was leading us there. We had freedom from God's word. I had counsel from my wife. I had counsel from others. And we took off and we did our thing. And you know how it ended? In utter worldly failure. And some might look at that and say, um, your plans, you must not have submitted those plans to the Lord. And we certainly did. And it's, it's um, yeah, just want to submit that to you. Our hearts can be deceived, can deceive us, and our plans can be shaped more by the culture that, that we live in, more than by God's word. You see, in our flesh, in my flesh anyways, I have a, I have a weary lust for more. I want more, bigger, better. I want happier, happier. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm deceived into thinking that it, that, it can be, that it can be found out there rather than up there. Wealth, health, pleasure, and recognition that will never bring ultimate satisfaction this side of eternity is creeping in to the front end of our planning process. Keep it out of there. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says this, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You and I were made for a better world. The very reason we are weary and never completely satisfied is because nothing under the sun can satisfy our heart's longings. Only the one above the sun can satisfy your weary soul. We all long for something that planning can't give us, that the world can't give us. C.S. Lewis sums up this longing that we all have. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Life, brothers and sisters, is meant actually to be wearisome and without any ultimate satisfaction. Why? The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us again in Ecclesiastes 
God has put eternity on man's heart. That everything good, and there's so much good in this life, and some of these blessings called children are here with you today. There's so much good in this life. But every good thing is a shadow of the best that is to come. So I want to encourage you, plan, dream, pray. Don't just wander through life. But while you're planning, have a right view of life, understanding that you are but a vapor, you're a mist, tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Have a right view of success. The success isn't um, accomplishing your plans. It's the process. It's doing everything to the glory of God. It's being faithful to what he's called you to. And finally, it has a right view of God. It's remembering that God has given you all the resources you need for planning. His word, his spirit, and his people. And after we plan for tomorrow through this grid, we go to work. And after we plan and go to work, you know what we do? We go to sleep. Go to sleep. Because the fruit, the success, are in God's hands. All he's called us to is faithfulness. That's it. I want to read this and then I'll pray. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Even though we're decaying, even though from the point of birth that we're dying, that because of the new birth, our inner man, is being renewed day by day. We're looking more and more like Jesus. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're, they're, they're amidst themselves. But the things, that are uns- the things that are unseen are eternal. So the right thing to do is to plan and prepare for the only one sure destination that we have. That's heaven. The plans are man's, but the odds are God's. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. God, we thank you that you are um, such a patient God. And I thank you that you didn't just um, leave us here after saving us, but that you gave us your spirit that enlivens or enlightens your word. It helps us understand it. And God, I thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. That it's the, it's the lamp that needs to be turned on at any aspect of our planning and dreaming and setting goals. And I thank you that you've given us your spirit that, um, that prompts us uh, when we're off track. I thank you that you've given us your people. I thank you, God, that we can have a right view of life, that even though um, our bodies are decaying, 
that our inner man is being renewed day by day. And God, I pray that you would help us number our days, that we would not live as if there is uh, many tomorrows, but we would live as if there's no tomorrow. And God, help us have a right view of success, that, uh, that anything good that comes from us, Lord, it's all by your grace, and it's all to your glory. And God, I pray that, uh, that we would just be faithful um, to uh, the plans that you've put before us. And I pray that we'd have a right view of you. God, that you are, um, even when we blow it, <laughs> that you're merciful, you're kind, you're forgiving. And I thank you, God, that even though our plans may not work out the way, the way that we've uh, hoped, um, God, that, uh, that you are uh, working your goodwill and purpose out in each of our lives. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.